if you prefer to walk the excess length off your jeans rather than hem them, you might be a redneck. If every day somebody comes to your door mistakenly thinking you're having a yard sale, you might be a redneck. He was so much more than the TV star we know him to be, so much more than the co-host of The Great British Bake Off. Yeah, that's just one of the things we know him for. Hi, it's Beth Bacall. I had the privilege of uh, spending some real talk time with the real guy, and it was kind of surprising for the comic to take a back seat to the man behind the funny because he really shows up in this podcast. He's noteworthy, praiseworthy. He's Jeff Foxworthy. And I've kind of always felt like you couldn't talk about rednecks unless you are one. I are one. Growing up, I had no idea that's what I was, and looking back, it was so obvious. I am not making this up. My entire childhood, our mailbox in front of our house had the letters M-A-L-E painted on the side of it. And by the time I was in the 11th grade, I realized that ain't right. Well, this is a big title. He's one of the most accomplished comedians of all time. Think about all the comics you know you've ever laughed with. Mr. Jeff Foxworthy is one of the best. He's one of the funniest guys. He's also one of the best guys. We're at a radio station, so I know you've been a radio host, but how about something musical on your resume? Can you sing? Do you have a song? Every comedian is a comedian because we can't play or sing. I mean, we all want to be a musician, but we can't be. So really? We're co- yeah, so we're comics. But comics and musicians get along great with each other because they're kind of fascinated that somebody can just sit there and talk without playing a song. So, yeah, we do good. It's a good match. Yeah. For someone who's been sitting next to Chrissy Teigen for the last ah. little bit. <laughs> I didn't even realize she was there. I've been married 34 <laughs> years. I only see Greg. So uh, your, your wife is really beautiful. I, yeah, I love the wedding is. picture of your daughter. Your daughter is your wife's mini Absolutely. Yeah. Well, one of, yeah, one of them looks just like my wife, and the other one, bless her heart, looks more like me. They're both so cute. I've got great girls. My wife and my, my daughters. I'm, I'm very blessed. And I never thought I would be an all-girl kind of guy. But it's kind of the way it is in my family. There's like 13 girls now, no boys. It's the estrogen ocean. (laughs) I say the only people that listen to me are the people that pay to listen to me. Nobody else is listening. But uh, I I just, I love being a, having girls. Mm. It's awesome. You're a good girl, dad. Jeff Foxworthy is known as a funny guy, Mm. but you're also really known as a good guy. You are Mm. such a good, good, good man. The world needs to know that you are probably even more good than you are funny. A couple of years ago, I was, somebody was doing an interview with me, and the lady said, okay, she said, you write books, you do stand-up, you do TV shows, you paint. Which one are you? And I kind of hesitated, and, and I said, well, I said, all of those are things that I do, and I love what I do. I'm, I mean, I'm so thankful that, that I've been given a creative life, and I've just enjoyed it so much. But I said, who I am is, is I am a child of God. I'm a husband. I'm a father. I'm a brother. I'm a son. I'm a person of this community. That's who I am. And so what I do, it's going to change a lot in my lifetime, but hopefully who I am stays consistent through all of that. You know, when you're saying that, you know, I've told my wife before, I said, when I died, if, if, if rather than somebody leaving a marker that said, here lies a great comedian, I, if somebody just put, here lies a great dad or a great husband, I'm like, I'd much rather have that. And I love comedy, but, you know, those are the things that matter. I mean, 100 years from now, that's all that's going to matter is what kind of kids did I leave behind and what kind of impact did they have? Well, Pastor Andy Stanley says, what do you want to be known for? Yeah, yeah. 
I just feel like such a blessed guy. I've I've, I've made mm-hmm. a fabulous living doing something I would have done for free. I've got good girls that that are out there doing kind things for other people. You know, they walk in their faith. My dad was married six times. You know, and I've got me and my wife have been married thirty four years. And sometimes I'm like, why? I don't know why it worked. You know, for me. But thank goodness it did. Yeah, thank goodness. Can we play a little word association before we talk sure. about Atlanta Mission? Sure. Yeah. Okay. What's the first thing that comes to your mind when I say the word shark? Tank. <laughs> okay, so I hosted Are You Smarter Than a Fifth Grader for about six years. Well, Mark Burnett, who was our producer, also produced Shark Tank. So one year he comes by the set and he, he said, I want you to be a judge on Shark Tank. And I said, Mark, I'm not mean enough. It won't work. I'm, I'm too nice. And he's like, no, I want, it would do half a season. And so I, I went and I was a judge for like half a season on Shark Tank. And here's what I will tell you about that. After you're a judge on Shark Tank, everybody that has an idea, not a good idea, just an idea is going to send you a letter and ask for money. I got literally like duffel bags full of, hey, Jeff, my wife makes earrings out of fishing lures, and I'm willing to give you half of this company for $300,000. Yeah, no, thank you. Uh I just got inundated by people asking for money. So yeah, Shark Tank. I didn't. I didn't see that is is one of the res- residual effects when I took the gig. <laughs> A lot of people don't know that about you. Yeah, they don't. Okay, we're number two. Barbecue sauce. Uh, I have. I've actually had my own barbecue sauce. I'm a barbecue nut. I I was like, I can't pass a barbecue place. And so, yeah, for years we had, I actually had a restaurant down in Orlando for a minute. Uh, it didn't last, but yeah, I, I love, love, love barbecue. And it, But I'm talking about like Southern barbecue because it's like then you get out like in Texas and it's brisket. And I like that, but it's not the same thing that we call barbecue in the South. And there's a lot of different ways to do it. You can have like the tomato base or you go to North Carolina and it's more the vinegar based stuff. My, I had relatives in, in, in kind of the low country in South Carolina and they made a mustard based sauce that they would do. So doesn't matter to me. I like it all. Maybe we can find bottles of your barbecue sauce on eBay. Yeah, maybe so. Hey, we'll sign them, and now they'll be worth a dollar. <laughs> uh, I'm thinking you might be some kind of a foodie somehow because uh, Great British Bake Off. Yeah, I loved doing that show, uh, I, and I don't really know anything about baking. I, I, I'm really good on the grill outside, and you know the big green egg. I love to. I, I really enjoy cooking, but I got to host a show. I forgot about I did that show. Uh, and it it was by the people that did the Great British Bake Off, and they brought it to America. And but but for me, it was more about the stories, and I've always been about the stories. So I didn't care how you bake that. I wanted to know, you know, it's like people talking about the recipes that that were handed down from their grandma and their memories of her making that. That's what I wanted to know. Yeah, I really got to know a lot of these people. Sorry, the the funny thing was because we shot it for like. 10 or 11 weeks, I was wearing maternity pants by the end of that because these people every day were baking cakes and pies and donuts. And, you know, you do pretty good at not eating that stuff until it's sitting in front of you all day long. 
that was not good for the waistline, but Still a fun must, show to do. Yeah, I bet that was a fun show. And it's true. You go right for the story of the person because I noticed you. This was the first time I had the privilege of meeting you this morning. And we were out at the groundbreaking mm-hmm. for a home we're going to talk about with Atlanta Mission. And I noticed every time you met a new person, you asked them, where are you from? And I kind of want to know people's stories yeah. because everybody's got a story. Yeah, and that's a great connection for yeah. you. And you connected immediately. There was someone there from the Bay Area and you had an instant connection. I said I was from New York and you mm-hmm. had actually a very funny connection. You know, it's uh, and, and I think that's part of the job of a, of a stand up comic is to find what do we have in common? And, and I think, you know, it's part of part of me is so heavy on my heart, like because I think the country's so divided now and people are so angry and they're just they just yell at each other. And, and, and I think as it, 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 you could take people on opposite sides of the political spectrum and you could sit them down and say, what is important to you in life? What is it that you really want out of life? I bet you we would agree on 85% of the things, but we don't celebrate the 85% that we have in common. We scream and yell at each other about the 15% that we don't have. And so, you know, the comedian in you, it's like, man, what do we, what do we have in common? And it's, if we'd quit screaming at each other and we'd sit down and and examine Hey, what do we have in common? We could probably knock that 15% down mm-hmm. a little bit. You wouldn't want to get rid of it because mm-hmm. then it'd be too boring if everybody was the same. But we kind of live in a world where where everybody is screaming for tolerance and diversity, but then they are crucifying anybody that doesn't vote or think like they do, which is neither tolerant or diverse. It's like, no, stop, stop. Because yeah, there's no middle anymore. And there's not going to be a middle unless you talk and go, oh, all right, I hear you. I hear what you want. If you'll hear me, maybe we can get something that we both can live with. Yeah. Uh, yeah, sad. We don't do that anymore. And I think that as a comic, it's kind of we're a little bit of the truth tellers that we that we can hold this up and go, look at this. Is this not silly? Why are we doing this? It's, it's you know, kind of one of the last bastions that you can kind of tell people the truth. Hmm. Well, you're leading a really good example with that when you meet all the people as mm. you're trying to find their story, but also as a way that you're living your life. Mm. I want to encourage whoever's listening to Google Jeff Foxworthy and then add on words like Rwanda and childhood cancer and conservation and land in Georgia. Mm. Also, the Juvenile Diabetes Research Foundation, because those are other areas that you are making a difference. Thank you for that, Jeff Foxworthy. Here is your final word, which will lead us into what you're doing here, and that's homelessness. Yeah, you know, I was, uh, I, I for, for a long time, decades, I had, my wife and I had uh, kind of fought against childhood cancer. My aunt was a was a oncology nurse and was one of the people that helped start Camp Sunshine. So that's probably what got me in that arena. But, and I love doing that stuff, but, but I, I'd never done anything with homelessness. I had always, you know, like everybody else, I thought homelessness was, here's $3, go away. I'm trying to go to the basketball. And I had a friend that, that got a job at the Atlanta Mission. He invited me down for, for lunch one day. And when I got down there, we, we were sitting downstairs where the men eat. And this guy sat down at our table. And I mean, he's a young guy. He's like 20, 21, 22, white guy in the middle of downtown Atlanta. And, I'm, and, I, and in my mind, I'm thinking... You lazy idiot. Go get a job. What the heck are you doing at a homeless, 
missing. You know, you're fine. And but like you said, knowing people's stories, I said and his name was Jason. I said, Jason, what's your story? Why are you here? He said, well, he said it was me, my me and my brother, my mom and my dad. He said, when I was 11 years old, my mom killed herself. He said, two years later, my brother killed himself. And then it was me and my dad in my second year of college. My dad killed himself. And he said, I just got to the point where I could not hurt anymore. So I started smoking crack. And I'm sitting there shaking my head like you are. And I'm going, dude, I would have started smoking crack too. How much hurt can one heart take? And so it kind of opened my eyes that, you know, so many of these people that are on the street, something bad, there was some kind of trauma, something bad happened. You know, a lot of them, it was childhood things, whether it was physical abuse or sexual abuse or abandonment, something bad happened. And they had a hurt that they could not deal with. So they started numbing to it. So some people, alcohol, some people, drugs. But when you numb, you're not employable because you're not reliable. And your family gets to the point where they go, I can't do this anymore. And that's how you end up on the street. And so my buddy Josh at the mission, he said, gosh, I kept going, what is it you want me to do? You want me to do a concert and give you the money? What do you want me to do? And he finally said, you keep asking what I want you to do. I'll tell you what I want you to do. I want you to lead a small group down here. Hmm. And I said, Josh, I said, there's six and a half million people in Atlanta. You can't find anybody more qualified to lead a small group than me. And he goes, no, I just think this is. You're supposed to. And so it started with me and 12 homeless guys. I'd, I had to stop by Chick-fil-A and buy chicken biscuits to get them to come. And, man, and, and, and what I found was if you could ever get to that hurt, because the homelessness was, was the symptom. The addiction was the symptom. The disease was that hurt. And if we could ever unlock that door in the basement and drag it out into the front yard, into the light, if we could ever pull that out, then you had a chance to get restored. And and to me, that's God's greatest delight is restoring broken people because he doesn't give up on his creation. He just restores it when it when it gets broken. And it's it's been pretty amazing for the last 10 or 11 years. I'm, I run into guys all the time. I went to park my car the other night. And the valet guy goes, hey, I was in your second group. I got my own apartment. You know, I had Thanksgiving with my kids. And it's like, oh, dude, are you kidding me? So, you know, it's, but, and, and I tell them because my dad left when I was young. And kind of the message for a kid when a parent leaves, no matter what the parents say, is I wasn't worth staying. Mm. And so, I, you know, I would tell these guys, I'm like, you know what? I Here's what I wanted as a little boy. I wanted... Somebody that loved me unconditionally. I, I wanted somebody that, you know, saw my talent, saw my gifts. Somebody that was going to be there every day. Somebody that was going to listen to me. And I said, so I just kind of made God my daddy. Hmm. Because that's what he did. He loved me unconditionally. He was there every day. He listened to me. Um, And, you know, I mean, I found that a lot of guys in my study, that's kind of what we did. It was like. You know what? I really need a dad, and I got one if I want one. And that was kind of my message to him. It's like, man, this thing you've craved your whole life, it's actually being offered to you, Hmm. you know. So, yeah, it's been something I never saw coming has has been one of the defining things in my life. 
So the man who ends up asking everyone else their story <laughs> actually has a pretty good one of his own. Yeah, well, you know what? I had, uh, man, I had a my mom. I've I, got a fabulous mom. Got the most praying mom on the world. She's such a good girl. I grew up in Hapeville where Chick-fil-A started. So from the time I was a little kid, I knew Truett Cathy. And I got to see, even when that was the only Chick-fil-A in the world, I got to see, my mom would say, you have no idea what the Cathy's do. They, they, they like put people's kids through college. Mm. Even when they had one store. And I, and I remember being a kid and Mr. Cathy saying to me, he said, you know how to tell when somebody needs encouragement? I'm like, no, sir. He goes, if they're breathing. And so, I mean, it just stopped. And for my whole life, it's like, you know what? And, and think about just a few kind words or somebody noticing. You make somebody's day with that. And it doesn't cost you a thing. You don't have to have any training to be an encourager. It's free. But it's so important because we all need encouragement. Yeah, we're, we're all out there winging it most of the time. So... Yeah, he, so he was a big influence. I've, I've been very lucky. You know, I, I came to faith at a very early age. And uh, it, it's even through my goofiness and my silliness, it's it, God never took his hand off of me. Hmm. So. Yeah, God laid a really cool foundation for you. He got you ready yeah, for Hollywood. Yeah, which is, a you know, it's a weird place for faith. It's not always welcome there. But but it's funny though, because within my business, you know, a lot of times the people that I th- would think wouldn't care for me at all, we we end up getting along great. And and somebody pointed out recently, they said, "Well, you've set boundaries in your life," and so to them that probably looks attractive because you not only set them, you honored them. You know, like being married and hey i'm going to keep this relationship to just us and you honored them and you got the reward for that mm. you know when my kids were growing up i went home every night i would i would rent a plant i would go home every night get there at two or three in the morning so i could get up and take my girls to school because i wanted i want to be there when they wake up you know and be their dad even though i had a weird job <laughs> so but now i reap the rewards and it really is true you 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 reap what you sow mm. because now my girls are adults. They want to go hang out with them. They'll call, Hey dad, can we go to dinner? Can we, hey, mom, dad, can we, can we meet y'all for, and, and I'm like, well, that's the investment of, of what we were sowing all those years. They trust us. We're a safe place. And yeah. Good job. Yeah. Nice work. Good job. Yeah. They want to go to dinner. Good job. Yeah. You're also doing a great job with the Atlanta mission. You've got a way to bless more people at the Atlanta mission. You were at a groundbreaking ceremony for a brand new house. Yeah. And this house is actually going to provide a lot more room and beds for homeless single moms who need a place to find their footing to get healthy again. A place that will provide support and love. A place to get better. Well, you know, and a lot of people, when you think of homelessness, you you, you just think of men. But the, the truth of the matter is there's over 4,000 women and children on Atlanta streets facing homelessness today. And there's less than 1,000 beds available every night, shelter beds. There's like 900, and I think the mission has about a third of those. And so that, that means there's over 3,000 
women and children asleep on the. And when I say women, they're not all in their twenties or thirties, because my daughter Jordan works down there. There's women that are seventy five years old living under bridges. It's somebody's grandmother living under a bridge. That's not right. It's somebody's daughter. It's somebody's sister. And we still don't have enough beds for everybody. So at the mission, my daughter works at the day shelter. And we're like, we need to better serve this community. So we got a $15 million project. It's like, how do you raise that kind of money? But so the people with Brock Built Homes came to us and they said, look, if people will donate $25,000 towards the mission, we'll use that to build this new shelter, which is going to provide over 100 more safe beds, which will take the mission up to housing 40% of Atlanta's women and children homeless population. Your shark is coming out. Your inner shark is coming out. Well, it is. I see it. I it hear is. it. So, I love it. And so 25 bucks pays for a woman and her child for, for one day's care and shelter. So, but, so Brock Belt Homes said, we're going to build this new home worth $400,000 and so every anytime somebody donates this 25 bucks to the mission for for every 25 bucks they'll get a sweet takes ticket and we're going to give this home away. So as we try to help somebody find a home, somebody is going to win a home. Nice. Which I thought that is so stinking cool that 25 <laughs> bucks, you know, would you pay 25 bucks to help somebody's grandmother get out from under a bridge? I would. And and you might win, a, you know, a home of your own. So, and and so, yeah, it's a creative way. It's it's a way to call attention to this, you know, because once you learn something, you got to respond to it. You got to either, you know, in me, Mister Visual, walking down this road of life, when somebody falls, you either got to you got to help them, you got to stop and help them, or you got to pretend like it didn't happen. And I can't pretend like it didn't happen. Because I know it's out there. And so, yeah, this is just one of the ways it's like, yeah, let's go bless some people. Let's go help some people to think that if we get this new thing built every single night, 100 more women and children aren't going to be on the streets of Atlanta. Incredible. And, 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 and you know, you, some of the stats, like 70% of the kids that are on the streets will be sexually molested at some point in their life. Think about that. 70% of the kids that grow up in homelessness will be molested. And so once you know that, it's like, Dad, coming. I have a hard time because you know that messes people up for their entire life. So it's kind of hard to pretend like it didn't happen. Now you you know, it, it hurts to even talk about it. It hurts to yeah, you bet you it does. But Jesus said, "Feed my sheep," and the only place sheep are white and fluffy is when you make them out of cotton balls in Sunday school class. Mm. Real sheep in the real, if you go to a farm, they got poop all over them. Sheep are dirty. They got cuckaburros and stickers in them, but Jesus knew that, and and, and that's and that's where he would be. Is it, that's exactly where he would be down there with those women and children, going, yeah, these are my, these are my kids, hmm. these are my people. So I don't know. I think that's why it's so attractive to me. It's an incredible opportunity, and it's a beautiful house too. Oh yes, it really <laughs> is. It's house. a really cool, and a really cool part of town out there yeah. on the west end up there. So. Yeah, and so somebody's going to win that house. Yeah, but but in the meantime, we're going to create more awareness for these women and kids on the street, and provide some relief for them, bless them in a way. There's nothing even funny about that. No, there's not. Is there? No joke in there. No. If you go to the atlantamission.org/sweepstakes, you'll see your way to try and get this house. 
and help homeless single women at the Atlanta Mission. And there's a free, no-cost way that you can try to get the house as well. That's the mail-in option. You'll also find a complete list of the sweepstakes rules. That's at atlantamission.org slash sweepstakes. If we think about the time we've spoken right now, really the smaller percentage of this time was you being funny. Hmm. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> you are the you brought your heart. Jeff Foxworthy, thank you for sharing your heart to this talk. Mm-hmm. Thank you. No, you bet. Uh, well, you know, people say to my wife, is he always funny? And my wife goes, No, he's funny, but he's also serious and he can be sad and he can be angry. You know, he's kind of what people are. You're a little bit of everything. It's a person. Yeah. She posted a picture of you on your Instagram with you surrounded by laptops and books and, and sheets and paper I going, know. this is the side that most people don't see of my husband, of Jeff. <laughs> yeah. You know, that's the side of comedy people don't see is, you know, if you do it right, it looks easy, but there's a lot of work that goes into it. Wasn't that what happened after you kind of had like a, a light bulb moment on stage with your, you might be a redneck joke, like two worked and you... Went back to your hotel and said, I'm going to write some more. Yeah. Well, I thought, you know, if two work, maybe I could write 10. <laughs> 10 work. And now I think, I think I've written between eight and 9,000 of them. Yeah. I started doing the page a day calendars in 1990 and I'm still doing them. That's sad. And every year I'm like, there can't be 365 more of these, but there are. It's like the bottomless pit. I feel um, so blessed. And I know you have shared this these stories a lot. And, and that's what happens when... You are in your line of work. You share a lot of the same but, stories a lot, but but you want to. But 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 also, it's like that word that's on my shirt: hope. Hope. You know, that's what you want to give to people. Is, is is you know, there's more going on than meets the eye. You know, and you don't everything the world tells you that makes you a success. You're getting lied to a lot. Not you a lot know. of people would admit that. No. Not a lot of people would broadcast that not yeah. a lot of people would share that but it's the truth Amen. and the truth does not go away the no. truth does not fade and yeah so you know the world's going to tell you you need this and that this and this and this and this to be successful and god kind of smiles and goes Shh, no you don't you're so good i feel so blessed to receive some of your joy and you actually bring joy in your laughter most people just go for the laugh mm. You have found purpose in using humor in difficult situations. I'm a, I'm a lucky guy. Party on. Party on, Wayne. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Uh, Will you, you stay forever? <laughs> Can you stay here forever Not and ever. keep talking and blessing people and being real and who you are and living your purpose so beautifully? Thank you. I've enjoyed this. This is a fun conversation. You are just such a good man. We're going to get that house sold. Yes, we are. And we're we're going to help some people before we give that house away, too. Yeah. Yeah. Well, nice to meet you, Mr. Foxworthy. It's really been an honor. No, no. My pleasure, Beth. Thank you so much. Very much an honor.